and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. It's the Feast of Our Lady of La Salette. Have you ever heard of Our Lady of La Salette? She's uh, one of the three major apparitions that happened in the last 150 years and probably the least well-known. On a mountainside near a dried-up fountain, two children, uh, Maximine and Melanie, fell asleep while watching over their cattle. Now, Melanie awoke and called Maximine because she couldn't find her cows. And as they climbed the slope to look for them, they saw a globe of fire where they had slept. It opened to reveal a woman, a beautiful lady, who appeared sorrowful, seated with her head in her hands and her elbows on her knees. Now, the children were initially frightened, seeing, I mean, I would be frightened seeing a, a woman appear out of a ball of fire, and Maximine considered using his shepherd's staff to defend themselves. Now, the beautiful lady beckoned the children not to be afraid and approached them and as they approached her, they, she began to speak to them in French, reassuring them. Now, the lady was described as tall and radiant, dressed in local attire with roses on her head, a diadem of a heavy chain on her shoulders, and a crucifix with a hammer and pincers on a golden chain. Now, this is important because that was symbols of the crucifixion. It's also interesting to note that Our Lady always appears in the context of of the people she appears to. So people who say, oh, Our Lady is Jewish, so let's depict her as a Middle Eastern woman of the first century. Or people who say, oh, no, Our Lady was definitely white. Oh, Our Lady was that. No, Our Lady appears to the people that she appears to in the way in which they'd be most comfortable seeing her. Now, the message begins, the lady begins to convey a message to the children. She expressed her sorrow and warned that if people did not repent and pray, the arms of her son's wrath would fall on humanity. Now, the locals of the region were skeptical about the story, and they began to realize that something significant did, in fact, happen to Melanie and Maximin and they, when they recounted their experience. The mayor of La Salette, Monsieur Pietard, was among the first to actually believe. The local ecclesiastics and civil authorities, as well as journalists, all investigated the children's story. They questioned the witnesses, trying to find inconsistencies, but found none. Eventually, five years after the investigation, Bishop Philbert de Brulard of Grenoble declared that the apparition bore the characteristics of truth and the faithful had grounds to believe it. So what was the secret Our Lady of La Salette confided in the children? It was twofold. Our Lady said that she wept and that she could no longer stay the hand of our Lord. Because of two sins. What two sins was Our Lady trying to hold back the hand of our Lord? What two sins are so great, so grievous that God was going to punish the world for? That the great chastisement which is to come, what were those two sins? They were twofold. One, blasphemy against Almighty God and His Mother. And two, working on Sunday. Not having Sunday as a day of rest, keeping the Sabbath holy. Those two sins, which today, who keeps that? Who meditates on those things today? 
Our Lady of La Salette, Our Lady thought it worthy to come down from heaven and to give a message of repentance because of this. So what should we ask on this feast of Our Lady of La Salette? Let's ask Our Lady to give us the spirit of repentance, of reparation, and confidence in her promise that a great chastisement will come and that her in the end, her immaculate heart will triumph. Our Lady of La Salette, pray for us. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Rudy Carlos. Hey, good morning, Adrian. Welcome back to the studio. Oh, it's good to be back. You know, the uh, tech problems yesterday had uh, internet problems, um, but it's good to be back in the studio. But though, it was really nice. And, um, and we're going to be honest, the weather in Milwaukee, I was like, maybe I should just move to the Midwest. It's nice. They got nice weather. It's like 65 degrees outside. And I was like, man. Oh, man. That sounds amazing. Right? <laughs> this is so nice. And the um, and going outside, there's no humidity. And going out on the water, there's no humidity on the water either. So what, you sailed back to Houston? Practically. Oh, my goodness. We actually... <laughs> so the, the boat was about approximately 30 miles mm-hmm. uh, where we were having the, the flotilla, the actual procession was 30 miles from the where they keep the boat. So Monday morning, we get up, and after the show, we sailed from where we housed it for the night and sailed it 30 miles across Lake Michigan to put it up. And then from there, I brought my luggage and everything with me on the boat and hopped on, and we drove 10 minutes down the road to the airport. And so technically, kind of, I kind of huh. did. That's kind of cool. It is kind of <laughs> cool. It's kind of cool. I was like, it's, it's kind of like, like in a small way, kind of like the old days that you just pack up your bags, get on the boat and sail to your destination. Right. It was kind of cool. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was uh, listening to this glory story. I don't know if you know what these are. No, and I'll no. talk about this in the after show. I would love to get them as a sponsor, but it's a, it's a story for kids about Our Lady of Champion. And, um, you know, Adele there, uh, who was the visionary, she was talking about how, or rather she disclosed how Our Lady spoke to her in a very peculiar Belgian accent to mm. her. And it was like Belgian French, I believe, or something like that. So it's, it just reminds me of uh, Our Lady of La Salette. Our Lady always appears in the way that is most comfortable to those people around her. And it, it's it's uh, really a... A fulfillment of for what she says in our uh, in the apparition in Mexico. She says, "Am I not here? Who am your mother?" She's going to come in the most comforting way. That's so true. You know, before we jump into uh, the show, there that just reminded me. You know, Saint Paul said, "I, I become all things to all people, right, mm, to, to yeah. save souls." And Our Lady and Our Lord take that to the nth degree, and they literally become uh, the people they appear to. Um, and it's no no longer right to be like, oh, yes, our, our Lord is a Spaniard. Or no, our, our Lord is a Frenchman. Or our Lord is a Jew. Our Lord is, no, our <laughs> Lord is who he appears to be when he comes to, our, to his people. Um, because he becomes all things to all men so that he may save souls. So praise Amen. be to God. At 15 past the hour, I was going to talk about something totally different. But on my way here, I saw a billboard for surrogacy. And I want to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour... A Muslim sheikh receives First Communion, which you're thinking, oh, that's cool, uh, except he didn't convert. We'll talk about that at 30 past the hour. At 45 past the hour, Apple had the weirdest ad out, and we're going to talk about that really strange ad. In the next hour, uh, we're going to be talking to Adam Bly with the Spirit World. It's going to be a great conversation. And, of course, we have Fear and Trembling, our game show. But let's begin in prayer. 
We're going to be praying for your intentions. We're going to be praying for the salvation of souls, for the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for. We pray for, in a special way, I ask for your prayers for my grandfather. Uh, he'd be uh, miraculously healed of his cancer. And for Emily Esserman, um, that she, they figure out what's wrong with her liver and that she be healed of her liver problems. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, Amen. O Blessed Virgin Mary, Immaculate Mother of God, who didst endure a martyrdom of love and grief, beholding the sufferings and sorrows of Jesus, thou didst cooperate in the benefit of my redemption by thy innumerable afflictions, and by offering to the Eternal Father his only begotten Son, as a holocaust and victim of propitiation for my sins. I thank thee for the unspeakable love which led thee to deprive thyself of the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, true God and true man, to save me a sinner. O oh, make use of the unfailing intercession of thy sorrows with the Father and the Son, that I may steadfastly amend my life and never again crucify my loving Redeemer by new sins. Arid that, persevering till death in his grace, I may obtain eternal life through the merits of his cross and passion. Mother of love, of sorrow, and of mercy, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Here are some of today's breaking news and stories for you. Have you ever seen any of these uh, soda influencers on Instagram or on TikTok or maybe on YouTube? Soda industry is paying dietitian influencers to promote sugar alternatives. According to a report, many of these uh, dietitians were paid by the industry groups, such as the American Beverage uh, Company, representing Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and PepsiCo, uh, to post content that downplays health risks and promotes highly processed foods and unproven supplements. Some failed to clearly disclose their paid partnerships, leaving viewers confused. Now, this is on the heels of the discovery that aspartame, a popular sugar alternative, was declared a carcinogen. Now, I'm not sure if you're still drinking uh, Diet Coke there, but uh, I would avoid all aspartame if I were you. That's not medical advice. Now, critics argue that this uh, marketing tactic raises concerns about ethics and public health as it leverages the credibility of health professionals to promote potentially unsupported products or viewpoints. The Federal Trade Commission requires influencers to disclose paid partnerships, but oversight remains limited. New York City's emergency response times have increased as police, fire, and police and fire departments prepare for budget cuts to offset cost of migrant services. New York City Mayor Eric Adams recently announced a massive budget cut to offset the cost of migrant services. The mayor aims to pull the city's budget back by more than 15%, including slashing New York police departments and the fire department overtime spending. In the fiscal year of 2023, the combined average response time to life-threatening emer medical emergencies by ambulances and fire companies was 9 minutes and 50 seconds, a 20-second increase from the previous year, a recent report found. You know, every second counts. Uh, speaking of seconds, uh, here we have a debris that's been found in South Carolina amid a search for a missing F-35. The debris has been found in the area of Indiantown of South Carolina and after an official search for an F-35 military jet that went missing on Sunday. A joint base Charleston, uh, uh, Charleston actually, called the incident with the missing F-35B Lightning II jet a mishap coming from a Marine training exercise. Now, those were some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. Back to you, Adrian. Thank you, Ruth, for keeping us up to date. Now, the Gospel of the Day is another resurrection story, our Lord comes over to the city of Naim, which means beauty. 
And he goes there and he heals or res- rather resurrects a child um, who's the only son of the mother. Now, here is a number of things that are important to keep in mind because uh, Cornelius Lapide explains the passage in terms of its um, historical context about what's actually going on. But he also takes this as an opportunity to talk about Christian burial. He says, when peace was given to Christians, they consecrated burial places within the walls near the temples in which they were wont to worship. Why is this? He said, for three reasons. That the remembrance of death might be continually present to the faithful as an incentive to a holy life. Now, this is important because we live in a world today where death is very sanitized. We embalm the bodies because we don't want to see what a dying body looks like. We put people who are dying in hospice care in hospitals, so it's all clinical. And then we kind of usher it away in these funeral homes and in places where you have to go out of your way to go visit. We don't see death as commonly as we would otherwise. Cornelius Lapide says, like as the Spartans were commanded by Lycurgus to bury their dead within the city in order to teach their young men that death was to be honored and not to be feared. His second reason is that by their consecration, they might be secure against the wiles of the devil who are wont to dwell in the tombs and possess the bodies of those departed. Now, this is interesting because Cornelius Lapide cites Holy Scripture showing that the devil is like to hang around grave sites, which explains a lot of uh, ghost stories and explains a lot of like the hauntings of, of funeral homes and explains why we would rather have our dead near our churches. So that way that would not happen. And lastly, he says, and also the faithful when on their way to worship might be led to pray for those who lay buried, that their souls might be released from purgatory and counted worthy of a glorious resurrection at the last day. This is very important. Because when we put them out of their sight, they become out of our mind, right? Out of sight, out of mind. And so how often do we pray for our lost loved ones? And how about for those loved ones who have no one to pray for? Those people who are members of the faithful at our parish that we don't remember anymore. Whereas if we had a funeral, a a burial place at our church, they would instead be someone, something to keep in mind constantly. Now, lastly, we want to have the allegorical sense of this. The widow is the church who mourns her sons, those who have fallen into mortal sin and forfeited the grace of God. And so we can go to Christ and he can resurrect our dead souls. For mortal sin kills our souls, but confession brings it back to life. So do not despair, but instead go to Holy Confession and be reconciled with Holy Mother Church. We'll be right back with more right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say that we should stop opposing things like abortion and homosexual unions because there's simply nothing we can do about it? You can't prevent that stuff. It's inevitable. So just accept it. Well, G.K. Chesterton says the other word for inevitability is impenitence. We have let ourselves be dominated by the notion that there's no turning back. This idea is rooted in materialism and the denial of free will. Now this modern refusal to undo what has been done is not only an intellectual fault, it is a moral fault also. It is not merely our mental inability to understand the mistake we have made, it's also our spiritual refusal to admit that we have made a mistake. Want more than a minute? 
chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there were a ton of stories that, you know, that are important to talk about. Many things that I've seen in the news, uh, both in the church and abroad, and in our national news. Just the cycle goes on and on and on. Always plenty to talk about. Uh, but I was on my way in this morning, and I saw this billboard on I-45, and I was very concerned by it because it was this humongous billboard looking for surrogates, and it was offering $65,000 plus to be a surrogate. So they were trying to say, let me buy your body for $65,000 plus, I guess depends on a starting pay, 65000 I guess maybe they'll offer you more if I don't know what. Have really good genes or something, I don't know. And I was immediately like, oh my goodness, like this is becoming mainstream. This is really bad. Because for a long time, surrogacy has been coming in popularity. We've seen articles about it, we've heard celebrities doing it. But I have never before seen advertisements for it where people are paying out ads trying to market to the general population to become surrogates. I've actually had a friend who was approached on college campus who was asked if she would become a surrogate for their child because they said that she was a very smart young lady, a very attractive young lady, and they would like for her to be a surrogate. And I, luckily she said no, but they offered her like $75,000. And as a college student, oh my goodness, imagine that is a major temptation. They say, oh, you just got to be pregnant for nine months and we'll pay you $75,000. I mean, for a lot of people, that might sound like a good deal. That's very concerning because it's going to get to the point where we're, we're, I mean, not to get to the point. We are at the point where we're selling women's bodies. What happened to, what happened to not objectifying women? What happened to the evils of slavery, of not buying and selling humans, but it's okay if we willingly sell our bodies, then it's okay. And how willing are you if someone is in need of money? How willing is somebody if you're saying, like, for instance, when they talk about, I've had discussions with people about, quote unquote, sex work, which is, of course, not work at all. It's, it's just bad. And they say, oh, but you know, these women have no other options. They're, they're forced to do it. They, they're in bad straits. And they, but you know, they're willingly doing it though. But I'm like, wait a second. Did you say they're forced to do it because there are circumstances, but they're willingly doing it? So how do those two things line up? I would say that this is bad. This is a slavery. This is another form of slavery. It's a human trafficking is what it is. Um, The legal human trafficking. Yeah, you know, it's turning the the body into just a commodity. And uh, I've seen our... uh, billboards as well here in Houston 
uh, as a matter of fact, you know, even for IVF, mm. you know, and, and they, they market to you this, uh, this idea, this concept of uh, being able to, to add something to your family, add someone to your family, just at the cost of, you know, pennies, pennies on the dollar. But it makes me think, Adrian, you know, who's buying this sort of thing? Yeah. Who, who are the people who are actually promoting this industry? Is it not overwhelmingly homosexuals, people who, who, who cannot have children naturally? Yeah, I think a lot of it. I mean, it's certainly, certainly a lot of homosexuals I think that's are a doing huge, it. I think that's a huge part of the market. Yeah, definitely. We, I mean, that's at least the high-profile cases. That's almost all of them. Yeah. Um, but the other ones are, are just rich people who, are, especially women, who it's it's really vanity. They don't want to. They don't want to lose the youthfulness and suppleness of the body. Yeah, you don't want to go through the pregnancy. Look, I've seen it firsthand twice. You know, it's uh, very, very difficult to be pregnant. Uh, completely understand that, but but this is the way that God intended you to bring children into the world. God didn't intend for you to go to uh, to somebody else to have children. In fact, we see in Scripture that oftentimes God did not want uh, things to be that way. You know, we see that pretty clearly in in, in the Bible and Scripture. So, for us to um, to just think about our, our preservation. It's, it's a way for us to just distract ourselves from eternal, uh, from the eternity, from eternity. We, we think of just everything as being the end all be all here on earth. We've lost our sense of, uh, what our purpose is. Um, we've lost our sense of, of, uh, of this eternal concept. But in here's the other thing. The other thing about this is, obviously, it, it kind of goes with the same question about the abortion debate. It's always important, I think, to talk about uh, the women issues, right? Okay, it's bad for women. It's uh, dangerous for women. You know, these kind of questions. But ultimately, what about the child? What rights do the child have? Does a child have no rights whatsoever? You could just throw it away. You could just do whatever you want with it. The child is just a toy. That's basically what you're saying whenever you do surrogacy. And I think that has to be focused on a lot more. A lot more. Because the child has a right to his father and to his mother. And in this situation, the child has, what, two mothers? Uh, because oftentimes it'll be the egg of the of the woman who's paying for the surrogacy and then the sperm of the man who's paying for the surrogacy and then they will uh, implant it into a third party and so who is the mother of that child is it the person who provided the egg or is it the person who sacrificed their body for nine months for the child who's the mother there it's kind of like adoption right whenever you adopt a baby I mean, you're the mother, right? Even if you didn't provide the biological material for the baby, you're still the mother because you sacrificed for the mother. You, for the child, rather. You sacrificed for the child. You gave up your life for the child. Now, this becomes even worse because now the mother or the, the woman carrying the child is not even doing it at a sacrifice, though. She's doing it for money. And so the child is what? A means to an end. A means to make money. And so who cares for the child? Does anybody, it's like we were talking about last week. Who's thinking about the children? What about the children? 
all we become a completely selfish society where all we think about is what's best for me. How can I make more money? How can I get a child that I want without any of the suffering, without any of the pain, without any of the sacrifice? Why do we go through this? Why do we, instead of trying to promote children and rescue children and take care of children, we commodify them? We abuse them. We do this over and over again. And it's not this situation alone. This situation is just one aspect of it. It's with the abortion argument. It's with the transgender argument. It's with the pedophilia argument. All these things. We are turning children into some ideal thing that's not real. That doesn't have a consciousness of its own. That doesn't have a future like ours. Instead, it's just some thing in the universe somewhere that we can just do with as we please. And John Paul II actually had a really great comment on surrogacy where he said in 1987, surrogate motherhood represents an objective failure to meet the obligation of maternal love. I want to stop right there for a second. An objective failure to meet the obligations of maternal love. A mother has an obligation to love their children. You don't have a, a, a possibility. It's not your, your choice. You don't get to choose to love your child. You have an obligation before Almighty God to love your kids. He goes on. This is an, a failure to meet the obligation of maternal love, of conjugal fidelity, and of responsible motherhood. It offends the dignity and the right of the child to be conceived, carried in the womb, and brought into the world and brought up by his own parents. This is exactly the thing that is completely forgotten. Everyone wants to focus on the mother, the father, the adults. But what about the child? The child has a right to be conceived, carried in the womb, brought into the world, and brought up by his own parents. The child has a right to it. Now, obviously... When we're talking about this issue, people be like, oh, but what if the parents are horrible and they need to give the child up for adoption? Obviously, there are exceptions to this rule, but they still, that, the actual right is still there. It's just because of circumstances, we're actually going to pass it on to someone else who can do it better. But they still have a right to that. It's just they didn't get to exercise that right in the way that's most perfect. Now, he goes on and says, it sets up to the detriment of families a division between the physical, psychological, and moral elements which constitute those families. Now, this is an absolutely amazing statement from John Paul II. This is exactly right. Because this is an absolute disorder of family. An absolutely despicable disorder of what God intended. I think about the chastisement that's going to come for the world. How almighty God is going to punish us. And I think to myself, what would it take? How far must we push God before he lets the rain fall like the deluge? How far do we push God? And it tells, and I think that it's whenever we completely pervert the Imago Day, And we're getting there. Step by step, we're getting there. Step by step, we're moving towards a place 
where humans are disconnected from humanity, where we're growing children in labs. The, we're here at surrogacy in 10 years. We're going to be just growing the child in an artificial womb. And there we're going to start genetically modifying children. We're going to be putting implants into the brains because they're going to find out, oh, if we put the neural link in early, then it'll be more compatible. We're going to completely plug people into a matrix. We're going to completely destroy reality because instead of trying to conform our minds to reality, we want to conform reality to our mind. And so what happens then? Will God allow us to get that far? Or will he send down the flood waters of the deluge? Obviously, not literally the floods water the deluge because our Lord promised he would never flood the world again, but he promised us a chastisement. Our Lady of Fatima... Our Lady of La Salette, Our Lady of Akita, she told us over and over and over again, just from the approved apparitions alone, we can ignore all of the, the skeptical ones. From the approved apparitions alone, we know the chastisement's coming. We have to speak out against this. We have to share with other people because they're going to be advertising these to your daughters, to your friends, to your aunts, your, to your sisters. They're going to be advertising these things to them. And if they're not prepared, they might see this as a good deal. If they're, uh, they're down on their luck and they need a couple bucks or a lot of money, really, they might do this. We have to speak out against this. We have to share about what's going on. And we have to beg God for forgiveness because right now the Imago Day is under attack. And it offends our Lord and our Lady so much in her divine maternity she weeps. So let's comfort her and let's comfort and protect children. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to do some Bible reading. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Bible regularly? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. This is uh, an interesting one. A massive win for criminals. Illinois sets risky precedent by becoming the first state to abolish cash bail. 
Illinois has become the first state in the U.S. to entirely abolish cash bail, a massive win for criminals. This will result in the release of no bail while awaiting court date of those accused of certain felonies, such as second-degree murder, aggravated battery, arson, as well as drug-induced homicide, kidnapping, burglary, robbery, intimidation, aggravated DUI, aggravated fleeing and eluding drug offenses, and threatening a public official. Coming soon to a, a city near you. Here's another story. Poverty is up for the first time in years, according to the Census Bureau. The latest U.S. Census report shows that the nation's poverty rate has increased by 60% last year, marking the first time it's increased since the Obama administration. The report found that in 2022, 12.4% of Americans were living in poverty, or about one-eighth. This is a significant increase, up 7.8% from the year before. Now, those were all of your headlines this morning. May God bless all of your holy efforts today. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Uh, you know, Rudy, the uh, poverty situation is really, I mean, it's its crazy because America is the wealthiest country in the world. Yeah. We see poverty on the rise. And I got to say, I think part of that is really just increasing cost of everything. Right. Inflation, all kinds of other things. Yeah. Like I was just thinking I was driving by and I saw the gas prices and I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, imagine somebody who is already because your average American lives paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And so what happens whenever the prices of things just skyrocket all of a sudden? Where you have a you have budgeted to have gas prices at two dollars and and well in Texas people outside of Texas is probably already like four dollars or whatever but in Texas it was two dollars and like seventy five cents only like a year ago or a couple years ago I didn't experience that at all you didn't experience that at nope. all yeah that I mean it was crazy and now we're already up in the threes heading towards the fours and imagine I mean if you're if you drive to get to work in the morning. If you drive to go to, to go to take your kids to school, and then plus then you have your your grocery bills, everything's in the in the groceries is is it also skyrocketing? Thirty, sixty, hundred percent full. It's it's pretty crazy the amount of cost that families uh, are, are enduring right now. And you know when when you have a um, a period of time such as this, I mean we're now three years. Everything's increasing over year over year. If you have a period of time like this, how are people going to survive? Long term, mm -hmm. what about retirement? You think people have enough money to put away for retirement? Never. If they're, yeah, if they're living paycheck to paycheck, it, it actually becomes even more difficult for you to put anything away in those situations. So this is a gigantic uh, ticking time bomb that's going to explode sometime. I'm not sure. I, you know, my father, he never retired. He worked every single day till he was 72, and I have a feeling that's kind of that's kind of my future here. Yeah, I think that's the future for for most most Americans. Is the the idea of retirement is just uh, impossible now? Uh, but you know, I think you, I saw a statistic one time that uh, the average American has uh, less than a hundred dollars in their savings. Ooh. Like, oh my goodness, Man. that is so that is so bad. So, I'm hundred dollars uh, more than me. No, I'm nah, 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 <laughs> not that bad, dude. If you're that bad, let me help you out. <laughs> oh, Man. <laughs> Uh, no, the but no, I mean this is a big thing. And before we go into it, it's other topic. It we we do need to have a real discussion about debt because that's the biggest thing that messes people up is having crazy debt. Like obviously sometimes, like if you want to buy a house, you got to go into debt. Mm -hmm. uh, but short of that, people got to like they 
they have to decrease their spending rather than decrease increase their credit because that's yeah. how people destroy their lives and i'm not a financial advisor i'm not a, a guru with anything like that but it's just i i despise debt and debt is just condemned by almighty god over and over in holy scripture and so i mean this is something that we just we need to avoid we need to avoid i mean i know it's hard in a American system, the credit card system. It's easy. It's convenient. Yeah, exactly. But like you say, Adrian, you know, you're going to be enslaved to something. You know, it'd be better off that you're enslaved to Our Lady. But, you know, modern day slavery, sometimes it looks like debt. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it looks like you're enslaved to your passions. So you're constantly buying... I don't know action figures. I mean, what 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 are people indebted to? I mean, they they yeah. buy the expensive stuff that they don't need, and they live without their means, outside of their means, and they become slaves. I was thinking about the. Oh, we're not. We're going to stay on this topic for a little bit longer. Uh, I was thinking. Uh, I was reading the Restoration of Christian Christian Culture by John Senior. Um, and if you don't know who John Senior is, John Senior is one of the. I guess you could say he is one of the. Um, intelligent intelligentsias of the catholic movement uh in this in the 60s 70s mm. and he uh, founded a number of places including he was one of the um intellectual founders of clear creek abbey in oklahoma uh, so he's a brilliant mind um excellent he was uh built the uh, the great books program that uh, that's very popular today and one of the things that he said in regards to to these things is he said uh, we have to restore a joyful poverty and he said he doesn't mean being poor in terms of like you're destitute but in, he means like a peasantry like you would go back in time to feudal times you'd see the peasants and they may not have great wealth but they had everything they needed and they were happy whereas our culture today because of advertisements they keep trying to sell you on the fact that you're not happy <laughs> they keep trying to tell you you're not actually happy and you need to buy this and then you will be happy. And so now we have people who are in poverty who have a bunch of stuff and are not happy. They have TVs, phones, uh, technology, cars, all these things. And yet they're not happy. Or as you go back in time, you see this peasantry who objectively lived poorer than anybody who has a job today. And yet they were happy because they had family. And he says they had a, they had a fire in their stove. They had music in their parents singing. They had joy in the mother washing the clothes by the creek. And things were simple. Things were difficult, but they were happy. All right, you sold me, Adrian. I'm gonna I'm gonna go cottage core. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go full cottage core now. All right. I'm sold. I, I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I was reading I, I highly recommend the book Restoration of Christian Culture by John Senior. He has two books. Uh, the Death of Christian Culture, where he basically sets out the bad news. He's like, look, we've destroyed Christian culture. We've destroyed Western civilization. And then he has a second book, The Restoration of Christian Culture. And he's like, okay, this is how we fix things. And, um, and part of that it was Clear Creek Abbey, actually, was uh, part of his restoration of Christian culture. And he, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's it's very sad that he's, it was unheeded. And very he's not well known anymore. Sounds like a good marketing tactic. <laughs> you you, uh, you uh, sell people on the solution to their problem. Perfect, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, well, he uh, the the solution was to uh, give up everything and join a Benedictine monastery. So, oh, okay, uh, yeah, sounds reasonable. <laughs> <laughs> well, for some people, for some people. Now, anyway, let's go into the story. We're gonna start the story. We'll finish it after the break because this is a pretty 
pretty major story, actually. A Muslim Sheikah's unfortunate First Communion. This is uh, put out by Crisis Magazine. Monsignor um, Richard Antal put out this article. Uh, the Sunday Times of London carried a column the other day by a certain Rod Lytle. Its title was an intention grabber. Great. We banished Christianity. Now we're stuck in a moral wilderness. Mr. Lytle was lamenting the state of the state church. A poll of the Incan priest presently serving showed that three quarters of said clergy believe that the UK cannot be called a Christian country. I would agree with him. Uh, the columnist rather acerbic point of view was reflected in his question, well, whose fault is that? He said here, Mr. Lytle said that at the last Church of England service he attended, there was a congregation of 13 people. The preacher had illustrated his sermon by tossing an inflatable globe among the pews, asking the congress to toss it around so that they could see the awfulness of food air miles. What? Yikes. That's uh, the reference to carbon footprints. Oh. Yeah. Weird. So, I mean, you wonder why nobody shows up to church, right? Because uh, that's going to be like, oh, yeah, i got to bring my kids to uh, see that at church. Or i got to invite someone to church to see that. Very strange. He said the exercise, which he said was more suited to preschool class, verified his suspicions that the Anglican church had jettisoned Christianity and replaced it with liberal grandstanding. He said here, if the Lord had been present, he probably would have made his excuse and left as soon as the inflatable globe came out, or maybe earlier. Yeah, I don't think he would have showed up to begin with. Now, he said, in fact, he says, much like the Church of England bishop I talked to a decade or so ago, I'm not entirely sure there is a God. When I read that a bishop confessed an agnostic temptation, I said to myself, well, at least we're not so far gone. He's talking about the evangelicals. This was before the news came from Brazil of a cardinal's funeral in which a Muslim sheikh received communion from an archbishop. So, after he heard the controversy, the sheikh, according to Archbishop Jeremias Stanmetz, the man who gave him communion, deeply regretted what happened since his desire was not to disrespect the Catholic Church. So, but what did the archbishop say, though? The archbishop responded, and he wasn't the Muslim was actually more apologetic than the Archbishop. So what did the Archbishop say? We're going to talk about that when we come back from the short break. We'll be right back with more right after this. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. In your view, was the Virgin Mary simply an obedient woman who willingly gave biological and maternal matter to Jesus and therefore has been given undue adoration? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Virgin Mary is in the first book of the Bible, the last book of the Bible, all through the Gospels and close to 15 other typologies throughout Scripture. Secondly, the Ark of the Covenant. It was the most revered object in the history of the children of Israel. That ark carried the presence of God. Well, goodness, the Virgin Mary did not just carry the presence of God. She carried God himself. Thirdly, something to think on. If God is a father, he is. And we are known as his children. We are. And the body of Christ are called brothers and sisters. They are. Wouldn't God provide a mother for his church? He did. So here's an idea. Ask a wartime veteran who soldiers cry out for in a moment of fear. That's right. Their mother. Mother Mary, pray for us. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to study a section of the catechism. Wouldn't it be great if everyone read the Catechism of the Catholic Church? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. We're talking about this story at a crisis magazine. It's also reported, if you want to see the reporter from Crux Now, is also reporting on this and many other outlets as well. A Muslim sheikh received communion from an archbishop. Now, the Muslim who received communion after the backlash came out, he said that he deeply regretted what happened since his desire was not to disrespect the Catholic Church. Huh. I mean, that's... I'm glad that he didn't intend to disrespect the Catholic Church. But what about the archbishop? The archbishop knew this man was not a Catholic. He knew it. He was not confused. It's not like he presented himself for communion and thought, oh, you know, I just assumed that he was Catholic. He was coming to receive communion. And you just don't receive, you don't refuse people communion unless you have good reason to. And that's fair. That's an understandable position. And that's, in fact, what the church teaches. You can't refuse someone communion unless they're a, a public sinner and, or there is a, a, you have a well-known reason to receive them, refuse them. Other than that, you can't presume that someone's not Catholic or presume somebody is in mortal sin and refuse them. You have to presume that they are properly presenting themselves. However, the archbishop explained that the sheikh was a great friend of the deceased Cardinal Angelo, or Agnolo, rather. He said, quote, And as a friend, he participated in the Eucharistic celebration and entering the communion line received the body of Christ. So the archbishop knew who he was. He wasn't confused. The archbishop wasn't thinking, oh, I'm sorry. I just thought he was a Catholic. You know, he knew that he was a friend of the cardinals and that he was receiving, presenting himself for communion. Don't you normally, I know every time I've been to a funeral mass, no matter what, if it's a Novus Ordo mass, if it's a traditional Latin mass, if it's an Eastern Rite mass, I've always ever seen in the ordinariate, always, 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 I've heard the priest go up and say, if you are not Catholic, don't receive communion, and if you'd like, you can come and present yourself to receive a blessing. Did that not happen here? Why not? Now here, the archbishop seemed to defend the sheik. Uh, the sheik's presumably first communion is what uh, the Monsignor says here. He says, because he reminded all of us, Nostra Aetate from Vatican II mentions that Islam considers Jesus a prophet. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? If our Lord is just a prophet, then why would you receive communion? Why would you want to present them communion? Because we believe, and not just believe, we know, with the, with the certainty of faith, because he has revealed it who can neither deceive nor be deceived, that our Lord is present bodily, his body, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist. Now, to make matters worse, 
Steinmetz quoted from Pope Francis' apostolic letter, Desiderato, Desiderato, I can say this, Desiderio, Desidarvi, I said that right, uh, paragraph six, which says, but every time we go to Mass, the first reason is that we are drawn there by his desire for us. For our part, the possible response, which is also the most demanding asceticism, is always that surrender to this love, that letting ourselves be drawn by him. The prelate also referenced paragraph 65. Let us abandon our polemics to listen together to what the Spirit is saying to the church. Let us safeguard our communion. Now, I don't understand how you could say this, because you could definitely understand this to be said, that we have to safeguard our communion and not be giving it what our Lord would say to cast pearls at swine. Because the commentators say when our Lord says don't cast pearls at swine, the pearls he's referring to is Holy Communion. And the swine that he's referring to is unbelievers. So how can we say that we're going to give communion to Muslims? It's a blasphemy. It's a sacrilege. Now, the Monsignor goes on and says, Did the Archbishop imply that anyone who walked into a Catholic church during the Eucharist could receive communion because Jesus was inviting him? What about baptism? What about safeguarding our communion by making sure that everyone who receives the body of Christ receives with understanding and reverence? We don't see the receiving of communion as a mere gesture of solidarity and mourning. The sacramental life requires both consciousness and conscientiousness. Now, that's a good question. Does our Lord, whenever he invites someone in, do we automatically give them everything in regards to the faith? The answer, of course, is no. You give people things over time. Just because somebody presents themselves and says, I am interested in the faith, you don't immediately baptize them. You educate them first. You show them what obligations there is in being a Catholic. And are they willing to follow it? Just because someone shows up to Mass does not mean that they are ready to receive communion. I'm glad this Muslim showed up to Mass. But if they're not going to change their beliefs... If this Muslim man is not going to reject the religion of Islam in favor of the truth of the Catholic faith, then where, where can we possibly, in good conscious, con- consciousness, give him communion? How could we do that? How could we do so? The Monsignor says, I cannot think of any explanation of the communion of non-Christians that could be more unbiblical than to say that everyone is drawn to the body of Christ, even if he or she is not incorporated in him by baptism or aware of his true presence in the sacred species. This is as bad as how, well, I don't want to read that. The, he's talking about the quote from an Anglican who is talking about how his situation, he's comparing it to the situation we read earlier, said, how can we know about the situation when there's Anglican prelates being agnostic, saying, if you don't know, the man should have responded, then get away to those who do, or at least want to. Now, he says, are we dumbing down our faith to the point where archbishops are less repentant than sheiks about not respecting the church's values and laws about the Eucharist? If a Catholic high school student so cavalierly dismissed the sacrilege, I would blame the lax teaching and think, O tempora, O mores. But an archbishop quoting the Pope to defend the theologically indefensible? Do we dare hope that someone in Rome will correct the archbishop extraordinary vague comment 
Yeah, that's a good point. Because it's one thing if a child or even your average layperson makes a mistake about something theological, about something in regards to church teaching. It's lamentable, nonetheless. I mean, we should know our faith. We should be familiar. We should be studying our catechism. Uh, but it's a little bit more understandable. You know, we work in the world. A lot of people are busy. They forget things. They make mistakes. But an archbishop should know better. And even if it is said by the moralists, the moral commentaries, that a priest and a bishop cannot claim ignorance because it is their duty to know. It is their duty to know. So even if they were not well-educated, by virtue of the fact that they are priests and bishops, they have an obligation before Almighty God to know the truth of the faith. They have an obligation. And this is a great scandal. This is a great scandal. And we cannot allow this. And I ask, will this priest, this bishop, get punished? Will he be asked to resign? Will he get an apostolic visitation? Will that happen? <laughs> I'm honestly thinking probably not. I probably will. There'll probably be nothing more about this story. This story will go away. People will forget about it until something else comes up that's equally egregious. And then people are then upset about that. And then nothing again will happen again. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the papal nuncio will go and refer, go to the Holy Father, and maybe Pope Francis will correct him and tell him, no, we cannot be giving communion to non-believers. No, Muslims are not worshiping the same God as we are. Because that's the other thing, right? People say that, that we Catholics worship the same God as the Muslims. And if that's true, I worship Jesus Christ. So if the Muslims worship Jesus Christ, then why can't they receive Holy Communion, right? We, we worship the same, right? That's clearly not the case. That's clearly not the case because they reject Almighty God. They reject our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. They reject him in his true presence. In fact, they say it is a blasphemy to call God Father. It's a blasphemy to say that he has a son. That's their words. A blasphemy that he would become man like us? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. This is why I think it's so funny. When, when I had my internet installed at my house, Muslim guys talking to me about my statuary. He says, you know, you and I, we have a lot in common. And I was thinking to myself, do we? Then why aren't you Catholic? He's trying to convince me that I should become a Muslim. <laughs> do we really have all that much in common? Does history, uh, does history prove this fact? In fact, history goes against everything that this man told me. The Battle of Lepanto, the Battle of Vienna, all of these different skirmishes. The, the, the Muslims do not believe what we believe. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was um, going through this article, right, uh, from Crux. And guess who was uh, leading the, the attack against, um, or rather, this defense of our Lord, uh, in this whole situation there in, in what is this, uh, Sao Paulo? This was, ac it was actually the TFP there. I just saw this right now. The IPCU, which is the, the Plinio Correa de Oliveira Institute, which is uh, what the TFP is known as down in Brazil, they, they came out and they said, they put out a, a video on YouTube in which it connected decisions to a great, a general decline of the Catholic Church in the world. 
They said, quote, giving communion to someone who has not been baptized and who does not believe that our Lord Jesus Christ is God is a sacrilege. He refers over to our Lord are being referred to in St. Paul's letters to the Corinthians saying, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord unworthily will have to answer for the body and blood of the Lord. Is it loving to give communion to unbelievers? It is not. It is not because they will then eat and drink damnation unto themselves. By them receiving Holy Communion unworthily, you are damning them. And that's not my words, that's St. Paul. He goes on and says, this is what the church has always taught. But it appears that some people want to adapt the church to some kind of universal fraternity, establishing a common ground for all religions. And now even communion is allowed to non-Catholics. Let's pray to Almighty God that this did not become more popular elsewhere. This not become a habit. Instead, this become an exception. He says, you can, you can never carry it inside your pocket, for instance, because of Jesus Christ's real presence in every particle of the host. This is a very regrettable situation. A very regrettable situation that we should all be very upset about. Because when our Lord is offended, even if it's far away, we should be offended by it. We should be angry about it. Remember what the Bible says. Be angry and sin not. Be angry and sin not. So those who tell you that being angry is bad, tell them to read the Bible. We'll be right back with more. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. Come on, babe. It'll be fun. It's just you and me. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the rosary dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Then, on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the Angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray a chaplet. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed the chaplet of Divine Mercy daily? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm in a good place in my life. And I'm energized by new adventures. I've got friends to laugh with. 
and a good relationship. But even though I'm kind of comfortable, I sometimes wonder, is there something more? Could God in church be what you're looking for? Come and see at catholicscomehome.com. I'm Von Greta from the University of St. Thomas Houston Graduate Admissions, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. We're wrapping up a conversation last segment about these horrific things going on in the church today, about people giving communion to non-Catholics. Yikes. What's up with that? Uh, but I mean, it's it's what you what would you expect? I mean, we live in the city of the devil. Saint Augustine wrote about the city of God, and and today we live in the city of the devil. Uh, but speaking of which, someone who trains priests on how to battle with the devil, Adam Bly, who hosts of the Spirit World or co-host of the Spirit World rather, that airs every single. Uh, Saturday at 10 a.m. Central. Uh, good morning to you, Adam. Let's see. Adam, are you there? Uh, we'll come back around and see whenever we can get his audio up and working. Uh, but we, I want to talk to Adam about this situation because I was having a discussion over the weekend with um, a friend of mine, Mr. Rex Teodosa, who wrote this excellent article uh, for Crusade Magazine. And it was titled The City of the Devil. And he talks about how St. Augustine has presented this world of a city of God. And in the city of God, I mean, you have the in, in this his book about the city of God, it talks about uh, what we are expecting in the world and where it's going. Because it was during the during the time of the fall of the Roman Empire. But the city, the but the devil then comes in, right? And so now we're we're living in the current age where we live in a world run by the devil. Every single aspect of the world is run by the devil. And so he talks about what do we expect to happen in a world like this? So that's okay. Um, and in that document, when he talks about the city of the devil, it's very strange to see this idea of what is the devil's intention in society? What is he trying to do? Now, obviously, his intention is to damn souls. I mean, that's that's a simple thing, right? But how does that play out? What does that look like in the practical? Well, the number one thing that the devil is trying to do is to destroy what God has created. Because the devil can't create anything. The only thing the devil can do is destroy is to pervert. He is not a creator, but a perverter. And so I was having this discussion with Mr. Rex over the weekend, and he was saying how he thinks that the devil is actually insane. And I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, well, how does that make sense, right? Because the devil is a purely rational being. As an angel, it's a purely, it's pure intellect, it's pure rationality. But the but so uh, but I then again I'm like okay well I guess he would be insane because 
he goes against God, which he knows that he can't, it's a battle he can't win. And yet he decides to go and fight against God. And so that would kind of seem that he's insane, but yet he's purely rational. And so that's a very interesting dynamic that you see there as this, uh, this kind of schizophrenia, this kind of uh, bipolarism almost. Uh, but let's see, Adam, are you there? Yes, I am, Adrian. Okay, very good. Adam, I was talking about this idea of like what, what the devil is, is, is the devil insane? I was having this discussion with a friend of mine who wrote an article titled The City of the Devil for Crusade Magazine, and he and I were having a discussion about how the devil acts in the world today. And he was saying that the devil is insane. And I immediately was thinking, how does that make sense if he's a purely rational being? So I want to get your um, thoughts on this kind of conversation we were having. Sure. So, yeah, I mean, that's actually a really interesting question. Um, the kind of thing you could sit around and talk about for a while. So I guess you'd start by defining insane. I have some background working and in, uh, in mental health, you know, in psychological services and in forensic settings mainly. So I've been trained in in diagnosing and and treating mental illness. So insanity usually <clears throat> means out of touch with reality, right? So that would be like hallucinating, having thoughts that, you know, aren't based on any facts or perceptions. They're just kind of uh, thoughts that we're locked in on that, that don't make any sense, that kind of thing. So from that perspective, I don't think he's insane because he is aware of reality. We know from being at the exorcism, we know that uh, they know they're going to lose they know that Jesus won. They know that Jesus is God. Now, so in that sense, they're very clear. And their only mission at this point is to separate as many of us from God as they can before they hit that brick wall at the final judgment. And they know there's no getting out of that for them. So they're in a very strange position. Um, but I think they're very clear on the position that they're in. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. I was thinking, yeah, because they're – but then again, I mean, you say if they're purely rational beings, how can they choose to not serve God? Well, part of it, Adrian, uh, a lot of people have kind of concluded um, – and I think this is well substantiated with the church fathers. I can't give you the quotes right now off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure the church fathers concluded that at the beginning when they were created, when the, the holy, the spiritual was created first, when the angels were created, the beatific vision was withheld uh, until they made their choice. And that was done so that they could exercise their free will. Because if you actually saw God face to face, how could you choose to rebel? How could you think you could win? And so in order to give them the gift of exercising their free will, God withheld the beatific vision. <clears throat> the one-third that rebelled along with Satan were cast out of heaven. The other two-thirds then were given the beatific vision, which we, we hear Jesus saying, you know, uh, don't shoo the children away from me. Their angels are before my Father in heaven. Uh, these This references to being before the Father. And so that's why the two-thirds that were loyal will never fall because they're in the beatific vision. So they can never say, oh, well, you know, I've reevaluated this. Maybe we can win. Let's rebel. And the one third that fell, they fell with full knowledge to the end of time of the consequence of that choice. So they're never going to repent. 
Um, so they're both kind of locked into the decision that they made. But yeah, what you're saying, I think, is true. And the answer is they didn't see God completely when they made that choice. So the choice was, in a sense, uh, a possible thing in their imagination because they hadn't seen God. Uh, wow, Adam, that is such a such an interesting thing to, to think about. And I love the the spirit world for for that fact. You know, the, people ask all these really interesting questions, and you know, they get your take on it. I'm wondering if you have any sort of uh, you know insight into this particular question. Um, you know, because angels and demons. They all have this this heightened sense of intellect. In many ways, they're they're a lot smarter than we are. Do you think that they can maybe have an idea of when that end time is going to be? Well, I think you know what Jesus said when he said nobody knows basically the end except the Father. Mm. When he said that, when he said nobody, you know, angels are also persons, not human beings. Human being is a body and a soul created together and fused together. But they are persons in the sense that they have personalities. So they're included in, the, in that nobody knows but the Father. The, the devil's really good at watching God and, and trying to figure out what's going to be happening, but he does not know the future. Only the Father does. And so, you know, they know the Bible very, very well. Um, they basically were there for all of the story of the Bible. They know it well, and they know what's written. So they are watching, no doubt for the indications that the Father's going to hit the reset button on creation mm -hmm. and judge everybody, but nobody knows but him. And we know from, you know, some of the Marian apparitions, the approved ones, you know, Mary is referenced that, you know, the prayers can hold back the hand of the Father if enough of us are repenting and praying. And so even if they said, oh, there's that definite sign, it's going to happen soon, uh, the Father can do whatever he wants, right? So we mm. can't say... Um, I'm going to lock him in and say, well, now he must act because I've seen this sign. Right, right. That makes sense. I was thinking as you were saying that of uh, the St. Vincent Ferrer, whenever he was on earth, it was said that he was the angel of the apocalypse, and he proved it by resurrecting people who would then profess that he was the angel of the apocalypse. And he said that if people did not repent, the second coming would happen in his lifetime. And yet he um, traveled throughout the world and, and brought about great repentance. And sure enough, the world did not end. But this is a, I mean, that's a good point. That's a very good point about the, the demons not knowing, um, but also able to watch the times. I mean, we think that we can predict, right? Every, yeah. uh, every generation, we have people <laughs> saying that we're, this is the end times. I know it. I see the signs. And if no, we think we can do it, the this, time, do it. this time, this time is time really going to happen. <laughs> this time it's really going to happen. Now, right. Someone will be right eventually. Someone will be right eventually. Um, but uh, nonetheless, Adam, the, the world, like people get, get kind of obsessed with this idea and they, I get very disturbed by it, uh, but I love how on the spirit world and your work in general, you try to say, let's not focus in on the demonic so much, but refer back to Christian hope. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about why you say that and what, where, and what that means? Sure, Adrian. So the core of this is that the, the Christian life should not be centered on the devil. You shouldn't put the devil at the center of your mind and a spotlight on him and do things in fear of him, do things, uh, you know, because you're scared what he may do to you in the future. I have to say these prayers defensively to keep him away, 
or things are going rough and I'm blaming blaming it on the devil and you know now I need to do these warfare prayers. Yes, all of the the warfare prayers and the other prayers are good, but you don't do things in reaction to him. That's kind of making him an idol and saying I fear him more than I trust Jesus. And so instead, have God at the center of your spiritual life. That's who the spotlight is on in your mind. That's who you're seeing in your mind's eye. And you make your decisions based on what would God love? What would God love to, to experience me doing? The choices that I could make that are good choices to love others, to be charitable, uh, to say my prayers because it pleases God, not because I'm scared of the devil and the prayers will keep him away. That's a very, it, it ends up being a very fear-filled life and it touches on what you just said. Um, throughout the church's history, we've seen time and time and time again, and you can see it today, small kind of cults that spin off from the church based on somebody claiming apocalyptic visions. And and you also see this in regular human cults in terms of law enforcement and looking at cults. Almost inevitably, it's always the world's going to end, so nothing matters, so do what I say and give me all your money and obey me. And it's the leader who has the special insight that makes such claims. And it's almost inevitable that any cult that spins away from the church based on some private revelation that's that's erroneous and not approved ends up being apocalyptic. And they end up saying the end is coming because that's kind of, you, you paint yourself into a corner and that's the last place you can go to retain people's attention and obedience to you. And so it's basically, it's a very old uh, trick uh, if you think of it as a game, that people end up playing. And the devil also loves to play this game because he loves fear. And so I would just gently encourage, you know, one way to look at it is we're all going to meet our own personal end for sure, right? Uh, unless we happen to be alive at the second coming and then we, you know, go to the general judgment while we're alive. But basically the odds are we're going to meet our personal end. We're going to meet Jesus. We're going to have our lives judged. Focus on that. Don't don't be fearful. It's going to happen. It's happened to billions of people. So let's let's focus on being ready for that, pleasing God, and having that be a good experience that ends in, in purgatory or heaven, as opposed to wringing our hands and and being anxious. Amen. I always say to people, um, I act. I I believe. At the great, I don't believe the second coming is going to be in my lifetime, but I believe that a great chastisement is going to come during our lifetime, the chastisement of Fatima. But I um, prepare myself as if it's going to happen today, but I act in terms of the situation that as if it'll never happen. So like I'm living my life and going forward, uh, not prepared for doom and gloom, uh, but spiritually I'm prepared for it to happen today. And I think that is a, a hopefully a healthy aspect. Uh, but thank you very much, Adam, for joining us. Uh, people can find you at 10 a.m. Central across the spirit world. God bless you and God love you, Adam. God bless you, Adrian, and God bless you, listeners. We'll be right back with more. We're going to go into our Fear and Trembling game show. If you would like to join us, you can call in 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. That number, 877 877- 757-9424. Call now. You could be the winner this week. So make sure you do your best and call right now. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your church most likely has a praise and worship time. Would you be surprised to know that the songs you sing might have nothing to do with worship? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Praise and worship was not a term used until the mid-60s when the Jesus people music started becoming more complex and contemporary. By the late 70s, praise and worship had become an entire entity of its own. Secondly, what is worship? It's a sacrifice. It's not singing a soft, flowy song with hands raised. The New Testament writers understood that worship was a sacrifice, that it occurred on an altar, which was and is known as a place of slaughter. Thirdly, the altar is for you. Jesus, in the holy sacrifices of the Mass, invites you to participate in His timeless sacrifice of love that truly occurs on the altar. No nightclub effects, no entertainment, no pumped-up emotion. Oh, and please don't register for the next Praise and Worship Global Seminar. Why? Because you can't teach praise and it won't include worship. Yikes! I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. Went through a divorce and um, ended up being a single parent. And it was an easy excuse. Uh, I took the easy out and just didn't go to Mass. When you come home to the, to the church, you're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Seven five seven nine four two four. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. You could be a winner. How do you do so? Just pick up the phone and dial right now, 877-757-9424. It's really cool because let me tell you how the game works. It's super simple. I have three Catholic trivia questions right here in front of me. And the trick is, I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, instead, I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. Rudy's going to give me an answer. And your job is to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong, which means even if you just guess, there's a 50-50 chance of you getting the answer correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Well, thanks be to God, you can win a prize pack from Conversion Starters. Now you're thinking, what is a conversion starter? Well, have you ever been in the situation, you're out in public, you're a Catholic, and you're, con you're confirmed, so you're out there and you're a soldier for Christ, you have to uh, defend the faith everywhere and proclaim the faith, but you're a little shy. You're a little bit of an introvert. Well, Conversion Starters has you covered. They make evangelization easy and painless for everybody. They offer shirts, hoodies, mugs, all kinds of things that catch people's eyes and pique their curiosity by featuring common questions about our faith, about Catholicism, along with the website address where they can just read a very brief and easy to understand answer to those questions. So you could be a billboard for Christ. Visit conversionstarters.com because uh, Conversion Starters is evangelization for introverts. Thank you so much, Conversion Starters. Thank you very much to Conversion Starters. We're very grateful for your generous sponsorship today, uh, or this week, rather. Now, that number, if you'd like to get in for that prize, 877-757-9424, 877-757-9424. 
And we always take the first caller. Uh, let me give you that number one more time. 877-757-9424 is that number. And we always take the first caller. So make sure that you call in right now because the first caller will, in fact, be the person who has the opportunity to win. And I got to say, it's easy. Question looking at the questions, Tuesday. it's all it's easy, easy question Tuesday. Uh, I was thinking, I was like, man. I, I, it's, it's already Tuesday. Um, is it Easy Question Tuesday already? It's and Tuesday, sure enough, isn't it? Is that um, that's Australian? <laughs> or is that um, I, I'm not good with accents. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we would love it if you would call in and be our contestant because I'm looking over on my right and let's see. It is in fact the case that the next person call in. Wait, you're not giving the share number, are you? I am not. You're not. Okay. Not. I, I've done that in the past. I did do that last week. <laughs> I did do that last week. Um, but today, that is the right number, right? 877-757-9424. Yeah, that's the right number. That's, that's the right number. One. So make sure you call in. Uh, we'd be very grateful for your participation. And we would love to give you a prize. So that's the way we do it. And that's the way it goes. So praise be to God. Uh, let's see. Um, Carl calling in. Good morning to you. Good morning. Can you hear us? Mariano. Hey, how you doing? There he go. There he go. <laughs> there he is. Mr. Mariano, uh, good morning to you. Where are you calling in from? I'm calling from Frisco, Texas. From Frisco, Frisco. Texas. Okay, praise be to God. Thank you very much, Mariano, for, for calling in. We're very grateful. Uh, now, where are you off to this morning? I'm going to work. To work? Uh, what is work? Yeah. You're a, a brain surgeon? No, sales. Oh, sales, sales. So it's almost the same thing. It's almost the same thing as what I've The science of sales. Yeah. The, the science of sales. There we go. Can you give us a 10-second pitch as to what you sell? <laughs> uh, sell, me, sell me what you sell. Sell me a pen. <laughs> yeah, sell me a pen. Oh, I've been in that situation before. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. No, thank oh, you. Yeah. Uh, well, Mariano, thank you very much for calling in. Um, the, what parish do you go to over there in Frisco? Uh, San Francis of Assisi on Frisco. Oh, there you go. St. So, Francis of Assisi. Is it snowing up there in Frisco yet, or...? Is it snowing in Frisco? I'm sorry. Is it snowing up there yet? You got a you got a jacket on today? Oh or? no! no <laughs> I don't think so. Does it does it snow in Frisco? I think it does. Uh, well, it had a couple times over the years. Yeah, I didn't think so. That's a that's a, not too much, not too much. <laughs> it snows. Uh, I think it's a little bit more than Houston, uh, but not much more. Not much more. All right, Mariano. The you're familiar with the game, or do you know how to play? Yes, yes. Perfect. Then you know Rudy can be tricky, but the good news is I'm looking at the questions, and it's all easy question Tuesday. I don't know what uh, whoever chooses these questions are uh, are making it easy on you today. So are you ready to play? Yes, and you promise easy questions Tuesday. I hear it. <laughs> all right, let's jump into it. Question number one for you, Rudy. All right, so if someone listened to the show today, they may know... The answer to this question. We gave it away today. Foreshadowing? Foreshadowing. I would say so. I would say so. The question on the board is, what do we call the profanation of objects, events, or persons sacred to religion? Profanation. Oh, like you were talking about the profanation of the Blessed Sacrament. 
giving it to a non-believer earlier. Well, that is known as sacrilege. Sacrilege. Yeah, believe it or not, it's not just uh, our Lord. Obviously, that is uh, hierarchically, hierarchically speaking, that's probably the top end of sacrilege. But could be objects, you know, could be like uh, a chalice. It could oh, be that's uh, true. true. monstrance. It could be a uh, tabernacle like oh. we saw here in Texas. Well, there you go, folks. All righty, Mariano, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what do we call the profanation of objects, events, or persons sacred to religion? What say you, Mariano, from Frisco, Texas? I think he's right. You think he's right. right? All right, let's see. Survey says that is correct. Way to go. Yes, the, the word sacrilege literally comes from the, the word in Latin, uh, sacra, which is sacred, and legere, meaning to steal. And so it's to, to steal sacred objects. Um, but then later it was expanded to mean just like the disrespect of sacred objects. Uh, so there you go. Very good, Mariano. You're doing great. Are you ready for question number two? Yes, sir. All right. Here is the question. I, I got to say, though, this is an easy question, but... It could be tricky, so keep your ears tuned. The question is, are there saints in purgatory? No, come on. Stop being tricky, Adrian. Of course there aren't. No. Okay. If you're in purgatory, you're still being purified. Absolutely not. All right. If you say so. All right, Mariano. This one could be tricky. You got to be careful. You got to tune your ears in and listen to the words carefully. Are there saints in heaven? 15 seconds on the clock. Rudy says, no, of course not, because they're not in heaven yet. So therefore, they're not saints. Uh, What say you, Mariano? Is he right or is he being tricky? He's being tricky because only saints are in heaven. All right, let's see. Uh, Survey says that is correct. Way to go, Mariano. Yeah, let's go. I can't Very trick good. him. Can't trick him. Untrickable. Could not get him. Could not get him. Yeah, the every person in purgatory is a saint because they are have surety that they will be in heaven. Uh, you're guaranteed heaven if you make it to purgatory. Some people think it's like a middle ground. Nope. Where you're, you're you could wrong. end up in hell. You could end up in heaven. Uh, but no, if you're in purgatory, you're guaranteed heaven. Yeah, it's like the difference between when you're in the airport and you go on that little flat escalator, you know, and those people are already in heaven. But you're walking along, staying forever. You got a car seat. You know, going through the airports is purgatory. three bags. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> going through the airports is purgatory. Foreshadowing? It, it is foreshadowing. If, if purgatory is like airports, please, God, give me more indulgences. <laughs> Man, I got to practice my sales. I'm not convincing Mariano at all. All right, Mariano. Are you ready for question number three? Yes, sir. All right, Rudy. The question on the board is, how long are holy oils kept for use? Indefinitely. Indefinitely. In fact, uh, some people have such gigantic surpluses of this mm. uh, that they don't have to attend Holy Thursday. Really? Yeah, some, some of them. Out. Yeah, they skip out. Like, eh, Christmas Mass, who needs it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right, Mariano, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, how long are holy oils kept for use? Rudy says indefinitely. In fact, he knows of people who have been hanging on to those things for years and just don't go to Christmas anymore because uh, they don't need it. Uh, what say you, Mariano? I think he's being tricky because 
every year there is new. So I think he's being tricky. I think it's just one year. All right, let's see. Survey says. Way to go, Mariano. That is, in fact, correct. That is, in fact, correct. It is actually once a year. You're right. And they are renewed every Holy Thursday at Chrismas. Uh, so you not only got the question right, but you also got you already knew the answer. So way to go, Mariano. Stay on the line. We're going to make sure we get your contact information because you got a three for three. Uh, how do you feel? Really good. Really yeah. good. You, sir, clearly study your catechism. So way to go. Uh, you're a cradle Catholic? I'm sorry? Are you a cradle Catholic? Or are you a convert? I didn't get the word. No, I'm a trombone. Oh, okay. So you are a cradle Catholic. Born and raised Catholic. See, you're giving us uh, cradle Catholics a good name. Everybody talks bad about, about us cradle Catholics, saying cradle Catholics don't know the faith. Uh, but you prove him wrong, Mariano. So God bless you. God love you. Thank you. All right, we're going to put you on hold, and we'll get your contact information. Uh, but God bless you, and have a great day. God bless you. And that's going to do it for our radio side. If you could join us in the after show, hop on Facebook, YouTube, and I think that's it because Rumble's not working today. So if you can join us, hop on there, and we'd love to interact with you directly. Leave a comment down below, and we will love to get your questions, comments, or concerns, soapboxes, negativities, positivities, or anything in between. If not, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. God bless you. God love you. And remember, Christ is risen. Truly, he is risen. Alleluia. Alleluia. We'll be right back. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's Facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Yes. Today's Mass is being offered for all of our online viewers and those listening on Guadalupe Radio Media. Oh, holy God, we praise thy name. Lord of all, we bow before thee. All on earth thy scepter claim. All in heaven above adore thee. Infinite thy vast domain, everlasting is thy reign. Infinite thy vast domain.
everlasting is thy reign. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, Therefore, I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. O God, who grant us to venerate the memory of the martyr St. Januarius, give us, we pray, the joy of his company and blessed happiness for all eternity. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to Timothy. Beloved, this saying is trustworthy. Whoever aspires to the office of bishop desires a noble task. Therefore, a bishop must be irreproachable, married only once, temperate, self-controlled, decent, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not aggressive, but gentle, not contentious, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children under control with perfect dignity. For if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of the church of God? He should not be a recent convert, so that he may not become conceited and thus incur the devil's punishment. He must also have a good reputation among outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, the devil's trap. Similarly, deacons must be dignified, not deceitful, not addicted to drink, not greedy or sordid again, holding fast to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Moreover, they should be tested first. Then, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Women, similarly, should be dignified, not slanderers, but temperate and faithful in everything. Deacons may be married only once and must manage their children and their households well. Thus, those who serve well as deacons gain good standing and much confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. The Word of the Lord.
I will walk with blameless heart. Of mercy and judgment I will sing. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will preserve in the way of integrity. When will you come to me? I will walk with blameless heart. I will walk with a blameless heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes any base thing. I will walk with a blameless heart. Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I destroy. The man of haughty eyes and puffed up heart I will not endure. I will walk with blameless heart. My eyes are upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way of integrity shall be in my service. I will walk with blameless heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. A great prophet has arisen in our midst, and God has visited his people. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus journeyed to a city called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd accompanied him. As he drew near to the gate of the city, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her. When the Lord saw her, he was moved with pity for her and said to her, Do not weep. He stepped forward and touched the coffin. At this the bearers halted, and he said, Young man, I tell you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, exclaiming, A great prophet has arisen in our midst, and God has visited his people. This report about him spread through the whole of Judea and in all the surrounding region. The Gospel of the Lord. In today's Gospel, we hear that Jesus was moved with pity or moved with compassion or mercy for the plight of this poor woman who had lost her son. It's interesting that the Hebrew word for mercy, one of the words, rahamin, it derives from the name of the mother's womb, raham. In other words, mercy is a way of getting inside of someone's shoes or, if you will, getting inside of their skin so that you can feel what they feel in order to then help to alleviate them in their distress and in their pain. The root of mercy being as well the image of a mother's womb also kind of shows that idea of unity that as a mother and her unborn child are called to be so close proximate and a, and a part of one another that this is the beginning of mercy to get inside of another person's shoes so that if I can feel what you feel 
then surely I will be moved to alleviate your suffering or at least to do what I can to help. With that kind of notion of mercy then we can see on the first hand exactly why the incarnation is such an act of mercy on God's part. God becomes man so that he can get inside of our skin and in his humanity Jesus can feel what we feel and he feels everything of it and it touches his life to the point where he's ready to die on a cross in order to save us from our misery and from our sinfulness. In today's gospel we see Jesus moved by the woman's pain. He feels and experiences what the woman experiences when confronted with the death of a loved one and Jesus acts to alleviate her pain by raising her dead son to life. This really is an image of Jesus's view of our human condition of death which came into the world through the original sin of Adam and Eve that Jesus doesn't stand by as a passenger and merely watch us in our misery watch us in the light of death but rather he becomes one of us in order to conquer death and open up for us the pathway to resurrection. My brothers and sisters when we see the actions of Jesus and see the depth of what mercy is called to be we too then are reminded that we are called to be merciful just as our Heavenly Father is merciful. And that means when we see the plight of people who are suffering, we see people around us who are in anguish, we too are called to attempt to get inside of their skin or walk in their shoes, if you will, so that we would feel their pain. Once you feel someone's pain, you can join yourself to them in solidarity and oneness. And once you're joined to them, then you are able to act in order to assist them in their mercy. I suppose you could say mercy is a three-step process. You first have to notice someone's suffering, then you have to unite yourself in solidarity with them, and then you can act in order to help them in their suffering and to alleviate their pain. And this is precisely what Jesus does. My brothers and sisters, today as we go forward, let us ask God for the grace that we too would be merciful as Jesus was, that we would notice people around us who may be suffering, that we would have the courage to walk in their shoes and to join ourselves to their suffering, and that we would be merciful and act in order to help them in their plight. Amen. Trusting in our Father's love and mercy, let us bring our petitions before him. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and for all bishops for their physical and spiritual needs. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. We pray for government leaders, that they would be inspired to enact just laws that safeguard and promote the dignity of human life at every phase, including from the first moment of conception, and laws that would always respect the natural law. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our we pray for the sick and the suffering, that they would be given consolation in their faith and the courage and perseverance to unite their sufferings with Christ on the cross. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our we pray for our family, friends, benefactors, for those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio Media, and for all those enrolled in the Salt Mass Association. We pray to the Lord. We pray that we would always be a people of mercy. We pray to the Lord. Lord hear our prayer. 
We pray for an increase in vocations to the sacred priesthood and religious life. We pray to the Lord. And for those intentions that we hold in our heart, we pray to the Lord. Merciful Father, we thank you for hearing our petitions and granting our prayers through Christ our Lord. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess him, King of glory now. Tis the Father's pleasure, we should call him Lord, who from the beginning was the mighty word. Humbled for a season to receive a name From the lips of sinners unto whom he came Faithfully he bore it, spotless to the last Brought it back victorious when from death he passed Bore it up triumphant with its human light Through all ranks of creatures to the central height To the throne of Godhead, to the Father's breast Filled it with the glory of that perfect rest Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Sanctify our offerings by your blessing, O Lord, we pray. And by your grace, may we be set afire with that flame of your love, through which St. Januarius overcame every bodily torment, through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, for you are glorified when your saints are praised. Their very sufferings are but wonders of your might. In your mercy you gave ardor to their faith. To their endurance you grant firm resolve. And in their struggle, the victory is yours through Christ our Lord. Therefore, all creatures of heaven and earth sing a new song in adoration. And we with all the hosts of angels cry out, and without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisunt celi et terra, 
gloria tua, Hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise. For through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit, you give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself, so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same Spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration, that they may become the body and blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. From the night he was betrayed, he himself took bread, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and giving you thanks, he said the blessing, and gave the chalice to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, O Lord, as we celebrate the memorial of the saving passion of your Son, his wondrous resurrection and ascension into heaven, and as we look forward to his second coming, we offer you in thanksgiving this holy and living sacrifice. Look, we pray upon the oblation of your church and recognizing the sacrificial victim by whose death you will to reconcile us to yourself. Grant that we who are nourished by the body and blood of your Son and filled with his Holy Spirit may become one body, one spirit in Christ. May he make of us an eternal offering to you so that we may obtain an inheritance with your elect, especially with the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with blessed Joseph, her, her spouse, with your blessed apostles and glorious martyrs, with St. Januarius, and with all the saints on whose constant intercession in your presence, we rely for unfailing help. May the sacrifice of our reconciliation, we pray, O Lord, advance the peace and salvation of all the world. Be pleased to confirm in faith and charity your pilgrim church on earth, with your servant Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, the order bishops, all the clergy, and the entire people you have gained for your own. Listen graciously to the prayers of this family, whom you have summoned before you. In your compassion, O merciful Father, gather to yourself all your children scattered throughout the world. To our departed brothers and sisters, and to all who are pleasing to you at their passing from this life, give kind admittance to your kingdom. There we hope to enjoy forever the fullness of your glory. Through Christ our Lord, through whom you bestow on the world all that is good. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, 
in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Precepti salutaribis moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, qui es in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And with your spirit. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccatamundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
Father, we thank Thee who hast planted Thy holy name within our hearts. Knowledge and faith and life immortal, Jesus, thy Son, to us imparts. Thou, Lord, didst make all for thy pleasure, didst give man food for all his days, giving in Christ the bread eternal, Thine is the power, be thine the praise. Watch o'er thy church, O Lord, in mercy. Save it from evil, guard it still. Perfect it in thy love, united, cleansed and conformed unto thy will. As grain once scattered on the hillsides Was in this broken bread made one So from all lands thy church be gathered Into thy kingdom by thy Son Let us pray. May the sacred mysteries of which we have partaken, O Lord, we pray, give us that determination which made your blessed martyr Januarius faithful in your service and victorious in suffering through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Immaculate Mary, thy praises we sing. You reign now in splendor with Jesus our King. Ave, Ave, Ave Maria, Ave, Ave, Maria, Ave, Ave, Ave Maria. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, I'm Emily Garcia from St. Rose of 